Well, the New Zealand International Comedy Festival might be over, but we are not quite done talking about it just yet, are we, Imogen? No, and our guest today, I'm sure, won't be done talking about it just yet either, will they? No, I would think not, because uh, said guest, Guy Montgomery, took out the award for Best New Zealand Show at this year's festival, the Fred Award, created in honour, of course, of the New Zealand comedy legend John Clark and his character Fred Dagg. And then since winning, Guy's had to put on additional shows because tickets are selling like hotcakes. So we thought, who better to give us the inside word on how to do stand-up comedy? Guy Montgomery, lovely to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, also, might I add, an insane brief. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, this is your do, job. Do either of you, my job is to be funny, it's not to, to tell others. Do you, either of you have a burning desire to try stand-up comedy? Um, <laughs> I've thought about trying stand-up comedy before, but I'm not very funny. But is that a prerequisite for putting on a good comedy show? Uh, that might sound like a stupid question, but I feel like it's not. No, it, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, Emil. It, it doesn't hurt to be funny. <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, if, you, if you're really committed, like if you, if you, if you wanted to, to keep trying stand-up until you're good, not being funny isn't a total impediment to, to achieving <laughs> your goal. It's just... Um, it's like anything, I suppose. It's like watching the most uncoordinated kid in your class be like, I'm going to be an all black. And you're like, well, you know, that's possible. You could do that. But you're going to like have to work five times harder than that kid who's naturally brilliant already. All right. Well, tell us then, tell us then about when, when it dawned on you that you could be a professional comedian. Uh, that... That part was much later. That was after all of my friends started getting their sort of their careers up and running. And I was still uh, busy. I was working in uh, cafes and restaurants and picking up media scraps and doing promotional work in supermarkets and whatnot. I've been very carefully hoarding daytime hours so that I was always free to hang out with other friends who were free. And then all of a sudden, all of their free time was being occupied by work. And um, sort of, I, I got a little bit of the fear up me that I was going to get left behind. And so I, 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 I slowed it down and sort of thought about it in terms of, this is before I'd even tried stand-up. I thought, what do I like doing the best and what am I the best at doing? And the equilibrium of those questions was uh, being funny. And so I thought, well, imagine if I could turn that into a career. And that's sort of when I um, began the pursuit in earnest. So let's crack on into the craft of stand-up. Okay, let's. The most important question, of course, being how do you decide what you're going to wear? Hey, I, I've i always just worn what I like to wear in the day. Um, hmm. Some people like to delineate their outfits from the day and the night or even from what they'd wear on the street to what they wear on the stage. I think the immediate reason is for comfortability, like, it's easier for me to be funny if I'm feeling comfortable in myself and mm. what I'm wearing. Uh, I don't particularly like dressing up, so it's easy to just wear what I would wear, you know, to go and meet a friend for, for a coffee or something, um, which is usually jeans and a T-shirt. And I'll wear socks and shoes, and there'll be underpants beneath the jeans. Uh, nice. And that's, you know, that's, that's your bog-standard G-mont on stage outfit. That's what we're talking about there. Do, do you, what, what about the music? Do you choose your walkout music? Oh, yeah. And is there, you do. <laughs> it's uh, what, how much thought goes into that? 
a lot. That's one of the best parts of putting on hour long shows is you get to choose the house music. So you get to choose the music everyone listens to as they walk in and you get to choose oh. the song you walk on to, which I think holds the most immediate and sort of um, tangible appeal to everyone. It's like how hmm. many opportunities in life is there for you to choose entrance music for like a room full of people? You know, yeah. like you can do it, you can, you can role play in your own life. You can have headphones on and be like, I'm going to listen to this song while I walk into the cafe. But, um, it doesn't really have the same impact as being like, it's going to be this. The first intro song I ever chose for my first solo show in 2014 was, um, Abba's Take a Chance. Nice. And I'd, <laughs> right. I'd, I'd come out and I'd say, the first thing I'd say was, I'd say, thanks for taking a chance on me. Uh, how did that go, how and- did that go down? Better than it did on the podcast, I'll tell yeah, you. I was uh, say. <laughs> we didn't give you the desired reaction just well, then. Well, no, but Tough it's around. okay. I was recounting an experience. And then yeah. uh, <laughs> the last one, I had Papa Loves Mumbo by Perry Como, mm-hmm. um, which was last year. And that was good. I wound up with quite a lot of material off the back of that song, just sort of observing and discussing the song. Mm. And then this year, I walked out to, it was actually the song I walked out to when I was. Uh, working the show up from scratch because I liked what it represented. Uh, the clean, anything could happen because, you know, anything could happen. And anything then could happen. I just got comfortable and used to um, walking out to that. And so that's still what is my current walkout song. I, I'm curious about that, that, what you were talking about there in terms of cr- like how a show develops. Like, because I, I mean, a really good stand up. Um, when they come on and, and give a show, you you might be forgiven as an audience member for thinking that they're just thinking this stuff up off the top of their head, but of course they're, they're not, right? Like how how carefully crafted or, or written or you know pre ordained is a show that you were put on? Uh, it sort of evolves over time. So the way I constructed this hour is I would do I did improvised shows. I did six improvised hours at the end of last year, where you know you'd you'd market the show on that basis, and so the audience would know they're coming in and there's like pen and paper they can write down a, a word or a sentence or a prompt and they fold it and put it in a hat and i just come out and pull them out of the hat and you riff around for an hour and so you might you might stumble into one funny sentence or a word or a few funny ideas and you comb through those shows and you write down all the bits that you think oh there's something meatier here i felt like i was sort of opening up an idea that i'd quite like to explore here and then from there i turn it into a work in progress which is like the beginning of the bones of what the show will become and so that's um Mm. again that's like you know the audience are on board with the fact that this is very unpolished and um perhaps you know not good at times but once you sort of start mounting the show so once you're selling tickets to what the show title is there has to be a certain degree of cohesion or professionalism Mm. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. What's the difference between an Aussie audience and a Kiwi audience then? Uh, I mean, a lot of it's in their accents. So um, when... <laughs> different, you know, different hecklers. When, yeah, <laughs> when they laugh, their eyes sound like E's, whereas when we laugh, our eyes sound like U's. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's actually, it's not as... Big as you'd think, I mm. suppose. I mean, I do think Australians are probably, they think of themselves as quite withdrawn and reserved, you know, on a global scale. But compared to us, I think they're probably slightly more gregarious and outgoing. Mm. So I think um, just the initial response or, re- or relationship between performer and audience in Australia is that they're a little bit more likely to believe in you. 
uh, and it's changing with time here in New Zealand. But in New Zealand, there is still it is you know to to put yourself out there in New Zealand and advertise the idea you might think you're funny is um is perceived as remarkably arrogant and also embarrassing. There's like a little bit in New Zealand of people are like you know they're sitting back a bit and they're like okay so obviously you think mm. you're funny so let's see what you've got whereas <laughs> you know I. Uh, in Australia, there's a, a little bit of that, but because we're slight outsiders, I think they're more. There's maybe a greater curiosity in America. It's just pure enthusiasm. They're like leaning forward, like obviously you're going to be mm. funny. D- does a does a withdrawn crowd affect your performance? Do you think? Of course, you know, you, you, the longer you go, the more you learn to to internalize or to to handle it, and just to perform to the audience you have that night. But when you're starting, you can become frustrated that they're not responding the way you think that yeah. they should, or the way that last night's audience did. But ultimately, you know, like you'll do shows, and there'll be someone sitting in the front row who doesn't smile the whole time, and they don't laugh, and then they'll come up to you afterwards and say, "Thank you so much, I enjoy." You know, you've just got no idea what's happening for people. Mm. Um, the, the most obvious and desirable response from a, a comedy audience is to laugh out loud, uh, but. That's just not where everyone's at, you know. Like you don't, you don't know what the last phone call they had or the last conversation they had before they came into the show is. And your job is to give everyone the best show you can on the night. And also, you know, another thing you learn is that no one's interested in your insecurities or your reflections on the show. Or if you think that was a hard show, mm. if someone in the audience comes up to you and says, "I love that. Thank you so much." It's your ego that blocks like if you say oh that was a, i thought you guys were quite a challenging crowd that's your mm. ego getting in the way of their experience you know it's not up to you to take mm. that away from them you say thank you so much you're a fantastic audience because you know you're you're pro- you're projecting your problems if you're telling them that you don't think they were a good audience like the customer is always right yes, comedy edition something like that how do you know if something's funny <laughs> do, you, do you do you test do you have someone you just go that you test your jokes on uh i mean sort of i'll I, I've got a um, a notes app in my phone where I just write down interesting, you know, concepts or funny sentences. Um, if I have a conversation with friends and I start saying something funny or start, you know, you, you, you find yourself wandering down an interesting avenue of thought, I'll usually pause just to write down the, you know, the bones of that. Because um, like when I started doing stand up, I always thought it was, a, I always, I thought I was funny already. You know, everyone can be so funny inside of their group of friends because of all the inherent and like mm. historical context mm. and and the the interpersonal dynamics and the relationship you build up. And the challenge with stand up is is presenting the fact that you're funny. You know, it's like you you need a universal access point, or it's like how do you provide the same thing with it without all of that shared context? So it's just a, I guess an internal mechanism and then a, a fascination or a desire with making it work for strangers. I mean. Some things that I think are funny aren't, <laughs> uh, and you find that out by performing the same joke or a different variation of it over and over again. And I had a joke that I thought of when I was falling asleep a few years ago that I wrote down, and the the premise was, um, I remember, I, I'm old enough to remember uh, when the Beach Boys were just about the beach, you know, before they found the music, and... Um, I was like convinced that I was going to be able to build this up to a 10, 15 minute bit. And like, it was going to be this big joke that was going to be my meal ticket for a couple of years. And I would have done it, I would say between 20 and 30 times since I wrote it down that night and it has never worked. And I I like refuse to let it go. You just always just slide it in there. (laughs) 
I do like if a gig's going well, I don't do it in my shows, but like if I'm doing open mics or if I'm doing spots, you know, and it's going well, I'll put it in there because I'm like, okay, now that they're all on my wave, surely I can get the this speech voice the up over the line. And never, never, ever. Guy, um, what, I mean, this is a predictable question, but like, you know, what, what would you tell, presumably you do get people approaching you saying, I'm really keen to yeah. try my hand at stand-up or, or get into comedy, but, you, you know, how, how do I get my foot in the door? What is your advice? What do you tell people who, who ask you things like that? Uh, you just have to start. I mean, you know, the, the greatest impediment for me starting was that um, it would be sort of being funny was part of how I self-identified, I think, and the idea of then, mm. you know, advertising that you were going to try and be funny and living through the inevitable experience of being bad at it was a huge roadblock for me. Um, it's embarrassing to to be bad at things, especially as an adult. It's embarrassing to try and fail, but it's um, it's just a necessary, you know, it's like picking up any hobby or trying to cultivate a new habit. It's um, You just have to start. So you find an open mic, you write out what you think your material is, you go and you say it, you record it on your phone, you listen back to it. It's um, devastatingly, I remember discovering this for myself, it's very frustrating that it more or less comes down to work ethic mm. uh, because what drew me to the idea of mm. doing it in the first place was that I wouldn't have to apply myself at all. Yes. Uh, so, you know, just start doing it and practice. And, you know, if, you, if it's not for you, then that's great. You know that. But if it is for you, if you get bit by the bug, then you'll find yourself just thinking about it more and more and wanting to go and try it more and more and tweaking jokes and, you know, alternating your word choices and stuff. And the other thing is to make friends with other people who are doing it. Um, it's a lot easier to go out to open mics if you've got people you're excited to see mm -hmm. there, both off stage and also on stage. And, um, you know, watch a lot of comedy, listen to comedy, which I assume people who are thinking about doing it are probably already doing. Everyone's been to an open mic night before and seen mm -hmm. someone doing absolute dog shit material and been like, <laughs> I'm better than that. <laughs> Prove it. And some people are right. Yeah. Guy Montgomery, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Guy has shows coming up all around the country, Guy. I am. Um, where can people get tickets? You go to guymontgomery.co.nz. There'll be a ticket link for every show available right there. That's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. If you enjoyed this episode, please do follow us on your favourite podcast player and leave us a rating and a review. It helps other listeners to discover the show. And we just really appreciate it. Also remember, you can follow us on social media as well to stay up to date. Find us on Insta and TikTok by searching Newsable NZ. If you liked listening to this pod, Help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. 
Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs>